Mark chapter 14, verse 20 to verse 32. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the paper cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews, and with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Now last year, a sister who attended this church uh, went to be with Jesus after a long battle with cancer. Now some of you came to the funeral service here, which we had last year, I think it was around about September. Now just after she died, I met with the family to discuss the funeral service arrangements as you tend to do. And as always, the most important topic uh, that I spoke with them about was the obituary. The family rightly wanted to know, wanted to honor our memories uh, by making sure that the, all those who attended the funeral service remembered our dear sister as we had all known her before she died. That was their top concern, and they wanted to ensure that the obituary, when it was written, it reflected that. She was full of life and a big character, and they wanted that to come across. And of course, this is right, isn't it? Uh, it's right and true for every funeral, right? When someone dies, we want to remember how they lived, not write about how they died. If a loved one dies in an accident and someone takes photographs, right? We would not want to show those photos in the funeral program. Shit. We wouldn't want that. Of course not. Well, why is that? Well, because every death is ugly. Every death is ugly. There is no redemptive value in our deaths. It's a tragic end to life. Death is an intruder. It is an ugly process that we do not want to think about or celebrate. Except the death of Jesus. When Mark and other authors sat down to write their record of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, they spilled a lot of ink explaining how Jesus died. And we have seen as we go through Mark that Mark actually 
a large chunk of it from chapter 11 to chapter 15 to 16 concerns the final week of Jesus' life. And we are currently in Mark chapter 15. And this is actually the second, I believe, the longest chapter in Mark. You'd have to check for yourself. The whole chapter really is a detailed record of how Jesus died. The process of Jesus' death. It is, if you like, the photographs of his death that we would put in a funeral ship if we were doing a funeral. Because you see, for Mark and other gospel writers, the main thing about the life of Jesus is actually his death. You can't understand Jesus until you understand just how he died. So the question I want us to explore over the next few messages in Mark as we try and finish chapter 15 is this. What are we to make of the death of Jesus? What is it about? And today we are in Mark chapter 15 and we're looking at verse 20 to verse 27. And in these verses it describes how the Roman soldiers took Jesus to Golgotha and crucified him between two things. That's what's described in these uh, eight verses. And when we look at these verses, the main truth that jumps out from us, for, and as I hope it jumps out at you, I think the main truth is teaching us here is, is this, that Jesus was crucified by human beings as planned by God. Okay? Jesus was crucified by human beings as planned by God. The death of Jesus was a death executed by us, humanity, at the same time it was arranged by God. Look with me at verse 20 there. It is Good Friday morning, and the Roman soldiers have flogged and mocked Jesus, and now they are off to crucify him. Mark tells us this in verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the pepper cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Now, if we are watching this on video, we can see Jesus at this moment is bleeding heavily. Right? He has blood all over his body. He's struggling to support, if you like, as he's being led out. He's struggling to support the wooden, the heavy wooden crossbeam that they have put on him. And we can see there are probably about four soldiers around him as he's being led out because that was the usual number of the Roman death squad. And it was led by a centurion. And we can imagine there Jesus is painfully staggering on, making through the twisted streets of Jerusalem as he makes his way to, be, to go outside the city where he will be executed. He is painfully staggering on. And then as we watch, suddenly... He falls flat, perhaps, on his face. Skinned and bruised beneath that weighty crossbeam. He gets up again, one more step, and then he tumbles down again. And we imagine at this point the soldiers who are, looking, who are with Jesus are getting impatient. How long is this going to take? They have flogged him literally to, to death. How long is it going to take for him to get there? Does he have energy? As he's struggling on, and we imagine as the crowd is following, they, they, you know, they, the soldiers look at the crowd. Their eyes are piercing on the crowd. They're trying to identify someone who will help Jesus to get this cross all the way up to Golgotha. 
And we are told they spoke someone at this point, a man called Simon. So we read verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, somebody who's walking alone, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Simon is from Cyrene, the capital city of the North African region of Cyrenaica. Jews have been living there for 200 years up to now. And so Simon is most likely a North African Jew who has just come to celebrate the Passover in the Cyrenian synagogue in Jerusalem, which we read about in Acts 6, verse 9. The Cyrenes had their own synagogues in Jerusalem. And he's come. It's Passover time. People are flooded to Jerusalem at this time. Now, in time, Simon's two sons will become followers of Jesus. We say that because it is the only logical reason Mark mentions their names here. He says, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus. It's a detail that Mark knows, that his readers in Rome knows these two sons. It's the evidence of the crucifixion. He's saying, you are living with living proof. Father, you are Alexander and Rufus. And so we think this Rufus must be the same man, I think, mentioned in Romans 16, verse 13. That's the future, isn't it? Today, Good Friday, Simon, their father, is shouldering the crossbeam for the Messiah. He is following, we imagine, Jesus behind all the way to Golgotha. We read on in verse 22, and they've arrived. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a scar. They have arrived at Golgotha, uh, the place of execution. I think that's what the scar means. Now, in the ancient, in the ancient world, crucifix crucifixion was considered the most severe form of execution. If we're thinking in terms of severity, the order of severity, decapitation was at the lower end, right? It was normally used for the, those who are in the upper echelons of society. In the middle, we have being burnt alive at the stake, or just being burnt alive, period. That's the middle severity. At the top end, the worst form of death is crucifixion. It was reserved for slaves and the worst criminals. In fact, kings and rulers used crucifixion if they were only when they wanted to send a message. They wanted to spread fear. The Roman speaker, Quintilian, said this, when we crucify the guilty, crowded roads are chosen where the most people can see and tremble. This explains, by the way, why, why Jesus was crucified outside the city. The Romans did not invent crucifixion Right? It's important we get that. Persians, Medes, Carthaginians, Assyrians, and Indians all practiced it in various sadistic forms. Historians tell us it, is, it probably began uh, as a method of displaying the bodies of those who had been defeated in battle on poles or steps. And eventually the crossbeam was added to the pole. Why? Because so that when they suspend the criminal there, as they are suspended there, well, the added pressure of 
being suspended with hands, hands wide will increase the intensity of the pain the criminal suffered. And so it is no surprise, as our Lord Jesus arrives at Golgotha, we are told someone immediately offers him a narcotic sedative to ease his pain. Let's read on verse 23. Mark says, And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. That's a sedative in the ancient world. To everyone's surprise, Jesus has turned it down. He doesn't want to rely on drugs or substances to get through pain. He wants to die fully conscious for you and me. Jesus has no intention to escape life through drugs. He wants to stare death in the face. He wants to drink the cup of agony for you and me. And he will. The soldiers place the crossbeam at the foot of an upright timber that has been sunk and that has been sunk in into the rocky ground. And then they strip Jesus, that's implied in the text, they strip Jesus naked. Later on, they're going to bargain over his clothes, as it were. And then what they, do is, what they do is they grab all of this naked Jesus and they stretch him out on the crossbeam. And as Jesus lies there, drenched in blood, one of the soldiers, we imagine, picks up a large iron nail, 16 centimeters long it used to be, and one centimeter wide. And then he places this, this iron against the wrists of Jesus, and then he lifts the hammer, he swings his hammer high, it pounds the large nail through Jesus' flesh, and deep into the wood. That's one hand. Seconds later, the second nail pounds the right hand. And so Jesus is now impelled to this crossbeam, flat on the ground, and then the soldiers use a ladder of some sort to lift up that crossbeam and then hang it to a pole, right? They fasten it to a pole. As Jesus is there now, to this upright pole, they fasten it there, as Jesus is now there, hanging, bleeding. And then with Jesus hanging, bleeding there, they grab all of now of his legs, place one on top of the other, and then they drive this long nail right through the top wood, into the hill bones, and into the wood of the cross. Our Lord is crucified. The soldiers have done their part. And Mark gives us a summary, doesn't he? In verse 24 to 27. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, including his undergarment, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. We'll say about that more next week. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus is now crucified, and all that lies ahead of him now is agony until he breathed his last painful breath. You see, crucifixion is death by suffocation. As it, each minute passes, the weight of his body will painfully compress his lungs until Jesus can't breathe anymore. 
the brutal shame and painful legacy of crucifixion is still with us in the word excruciating. Excruciating. It literally means out of the cross. That's what the word means. You see, the crucifixion of Jesus is a violent crucifixion. But if you are following closely as we read this passage, I hope what jumped out at you is one word that Mark keeps repeating using. What word is that? The word is they. Look at verse 20. And, they, and when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the pepper cloth. And they led him out to crucify him. Verse 21. And they compelled the passerby. Verse 22. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha. Verse 23. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. Verse 24. And they crucified him. Verse 25. It was the third hour when they crucified him. Verse 27. And they crucified him. And they crucified two robbers. One on his right and one on his left. Mark's constant use of this personal pronoun, they, is his way of telling us that our Lord Jesus is being crucified by human beings like us. The crucifixion is an act of human cruelty perpetrated against God the Son, Jesus. It's a human act. But Mark also wants us to see another thing, is that it is not by accident. The crucifixion has been arranged by God the Father. We know this because Mark has already shown us that Jesus predicted his death. If you jump back to Mark 8, verse 31 to 33, just glance there. Um, Mark 8, verse 31, you don't have to. I'll read it for you. It says this. Jesus himself said this. Um, and he began to teach them what the Son of Man must suffer must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Listen to what Peter, Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. Why? For you are not set in your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus makes it clear to Peter, the cross, his death, his rejection, these are the things of God. This has been arranged by God. And Jesus says the same thing in Mark chapter 9, verse 30 to 31, Mark 10, verse 33 to 34, Mark 10, verse 45, the, the, the ransom saying, Mark 14, 26 to 27, when he's at the Mount of Olives, and even at the Passover meal. All of it. Even Mark 12, when he tells the parable of the vineyard. So Jesus has been prophesying throughout of his death. And we especially see the hand of God in the crucifixion. By how the events themselves, these prophecies, which were given 700 years plus, are literally fulfilled as Jesus is dying there. Look at verse 23. In verse 23, we have there Jesus being offered wine mixed with myrrh. Well, that's an allusion back to Psalm 69, Psalm 69, verse 21, where he says, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Verse 24 is about his clothes being taken from him, right? 
That's the fulfillment of Psalm 22, verse 18. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Verse 27 speaks about Jesus dying among thieves. Well, that fulfills Isaiah's prophecy of the Messiah in Isaiah 53, verse 12, which says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So taken together, Mark has been making it clear that it is God the Father who is working behind the scenes to crush his son. He has put Jesus to death. And this is a mystery of the crucifixion, isn't it? The soldiers put the nails on Jesus. But it is God who swung the hammer. It is God who acted in and through their sin to accomplish the crucifixion. God is bigger than our sin. He is sovereign over all things. And we see that especially at the cross. Peter and other disciples understood this mystery of the cross because Peter declared this after Jesus rose from the grave. In his first sermon, Peter preached. He declared boldly to the nation of Israel in Acts 2, verse 22 to 24. He says, men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. He says, you know all about Jesus. And then he says, this Jesus you know, delivered up according to the definite plan and for knowledge of God, is God's plan, you then crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And God raised him up, didn't he? Loosening the pangs of death, Peter says, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So then the question is, who crucified Jesus? Well, human beings did by our free evil choices. And yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. God nailed his son to the cross for us. And we know that Jesus, as both God and man, died for us willingly. How do we know? Because the crucifixion Jesus planned as God, as a member of the Trinity, he willingly surrendered to as a man. We had, I think, four sermons on Gethsemane, where Jesus constantly told us, not my will, but your will be done. So here we have the meaning uh, all this passage, isn't it? Mark is teaching us in verse 20 to 27 that Jesus was crucified by human beings as planned by God. That's the meaning of the text. So what does it mean for us today? I mean, what are we to do with this truth? I think there are just three quick things I want to draw out here for application for us. First of all, what are we, how should we respond to this? First of all, we must let the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus convince us, not just convince us of just how vile and sinful we really are before God. When you look at this text, this is what you have to take away, first and foremost. I am a sinner. I am vile. I am a member of a human race that's completely vile. 
That is the first thing we have to take away from this. Because you see, the evil of the crucifixion is not simply that these soldiers have a dark conscience. They do. They have such a dark conscience that they have murdered a man they know is innocent. But it's not simply about that. It is not simply that they have stolen the dignity of Jesus by stripping him off all of his clothes. And then while he's dying there, they steal his clothes. Who robs a man who's dying? That's terrible. That's wicked. But it's not just about that. All of these things are evil. But the true depth of human depravity here is that they have done these things to God. It is God they're doing these things to. The evil of the crucifixion is that these soldiers have mocked, flogged, pushed, abused, plundered, shamed, rejected, and crucified God. And here is why this matters to us. It matters to us because you and I as guilty before God as these Roman soldiers. All of us here are guilty of crucifying God. You have the blood of God on your hands. Because you see, every sin you commit is the crucifixion of God the Son. It is a violation of the authority of God. It is shaming God. It is you rejecting God. When I sin, I am grabbing hold of God, stripping him of his dignity. I am saying to God, get lost, get out of here. I am literally murdering God outside the city gates of my life. I am saying to God, you are not welcome here. I am pronouncing a death sentence on God. All of sin says I prefer God dead than alive. I prefer to live in a world where I do not have to answer to you. Thank you very much. That's what sin says. And so some of us wear crosses. We see them on buildings. We have a large one there, right? The one on top there. I really like the one on top there, right? But perhaps next time you're coming to the church and you look at it, it's there. When you look at the cross, it should remind you and it should help you accept in your heart that what you're looking at is a picture of what every sin you commit does. It crucifies God. The cross is saying to each of us, you are a murderer of, God, of your God. And that you deserve his full wrath and judgment. And you and I must allow this passage this morning to convince us of this depth of our sin. Because you see, until it does, you will not be able to do the second thing you need to do as a result of this passage. And the second thing is this. We must accept that the crucifixion of Jesus is the only means ordained by God through which we can have eternal life with God. There is no other way. If there were other ways there to get to heaven, God would not need to be killed by creatures he created. The cross is the only way. Because you see, the Bible says our sin has cut us from God, the source of life. We are under the physical 
spiritual and everlasting punishment of death. Romans 6 verse 23. And God can only move the punishment over us if someone perfect willingly takes our place and suffers that punishment from God that we deserve. Somebody to do that on our behalf. And of course that individual must be 100% human to stand in for our sin. But they must also be 100% God, as powerful as God, to suffer the full punishment of God that we deserve. And in the crucifixion of Jesus, God the Son, Jesus, willingly, who qualifies as God, and also is fully man, willingly steps into your shoes. He allows himself to suffer physically, and most importantly, spiritually, when the wrath of God is poured on him. You see, I've talked about the violent details of the cross this morning briefly. But let us not forget that what really happened on that as Jesus has been crucified, it is God pouring his wrath on Jesus for our sins. And he does that so that you can be forgiven of sin. Whatever your situation this morning, the crucifixion of Jesus, therefore, is the only way for you to have life with God. There is no other way. Oh, friends, our sin is so serious that it has an infinite penalty that you cannot meet. Only the death of God in Jesus can pay for it. Your good works won't pay for it. Your stain of sin is so dirty that only the blood of God shed on that cross by Jesus can wipe it clean. No other mechanism will wipe it clean. And what you and I need to do this morning to ensure we have done this is to accept this crucifixion of Jesus for our sins. You need to go to Jesus to repent of your sin. And trust in Jesus alone. Not in your good works, not in your church attendance, none of that. It's a great thing to be in church, braving the fear that has engulfed this nation. That's a wonderful thing. But it's not sufficient. Only the blood of Jesus can wipe away your sin. So go to him this morning. Cry out to him in repentance. The final thing we need to do as we look at the cross what we need to do is to allow the cross of Jesus to encourage us in any areas where we are experiencing emotional and physical suffering. Do you remember why Mark has written this book? I appreciate not all of you were there at the beginning, right? But for those of you who were, do you remember why Mark has written this book? It is for believers in Rome who were living under severe persecution at the hands of Nero. And these believers would have been all too familiar with seeing innocent brothers and sisters tied to pillars, flogged, lit up as torches by the Emperor Nero. In fact, a few years before Mark wrote his biography of Jesus, some of these believers would have seen the Apostle Peter, the great Apostle, crucified upside down. These believers knew intimately the horrors of crucifixion. They did not have to imagine it like we are having to imagine it this morning. And I want to ask you a question here. What do you think they felt? What do you think they felt as they read this passage? 
What do you think they felt? I imagine them banded together there around the candle in a catacomb in Rome, in those underground caves. And I believe as they are reading this passage, their eyes are filled with joy and tears. Because they are encouraged as they think of our beloved God and Savior Jesus, who willingly allowed himself to be crucified for them and us. I can imagine one of them perhaps standing up and saying to, to others, they say, look, I have suffered a lot for Jesus. And I feel like giving up. Life has been tough on me. But how can I abandon him who loves me so? Yes, tomorrow may be my last day. I may never see you guys again. I have real fear that I may get caught and tossed to narrow lines. But Jesus has walked down this way before. I may get flogged. I may end up being stripped naked in shame. I may even die publicly, but Jesus also experienced it. He stood firm for me. I think the church in Rome knew that the answer to their suffering and pain is the crucifixion of Jesus. They drew strength from the crucified king. And we must do the same in whatever suffering we are facing. None of us are immune to suffering. And I know some of you at this moment are experiencing deep pain and suffering. And you feel alone in pain. And the truth is that, humanly speaking, you are alone in your situation, just like Jesus. You are feeling emotionally suspended like Jesus between heaven and earth. What do I mean by that? Well, God feels extremely far above. And when you look at the earth below, when you look at people around you, it only brings pain. That is lonely. It is painful. Is that you, perhaps, this morning? Can I then encourage you to bring your wounds to our crucified Jesus? Tell our Lord Jesus how you really feel. Tell your pain to him. Take your wounded heart to Christ. Is it anxiety? Tell him you're fearful of tomorrow. Is it loneliness? Tell him you feel abandoned in life. Is it betrayal perhaps you've suffered? Tell him the anger that is within you. Is it the stress of being a mother or a father with many things to take care of? Tell Jesus you're struggling to cope. Come to him. Tell him your pain. Because you see, that cross, when you see it there, when you read about it in the scripture, that cross, beloved, is your invitation to come to the foot of the cross. You can come to Jesus with whatever suffering you have because he is your great high priest. He has suffered in this body. Even now in heaven, he wears the scars of the cross. Even now, he remains fully human. So we, you can go to him if you trust him. You can bring your pain to him because he understands. Psalm 68, verse 19, as we close, says this. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Well, this God is Jesus who bore our burdens in his crucifixion. The cross says this, beloved, your sin has been paid for. 
God is in Jesus is now with you. He is now your wounded Savior. He has your back for all eternity. Amen.